Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, our 15th season showcasing stories from outstanding business people presented by Video Canada. My name is Sandrine Rastello, standing in for Dan Delmar, along with Mike Newton of Video Canada. Hello, Mike. Hey, Sandrine. How are you? Good. Thank you. Happy to join you again today. It's a pleasure to have uh, have you with us. And, uh, you know, a couple more episodes. Dan's going to be looking for a new job. <laughs> So this week on the show, we welcome Adele Tarzibashi, co-founder of food company Les Filles Fatouche. She started with an import business and now sells ready-to-eat specialties and ingredients from Syria. She gives women refugees a job and a chance to start a new life. And now her expansion plans have won her an offer from a dragon. What a great story. It really is fascinating. And, you know, it's it's, it's the it's the human and the social aspect, all of this, which which really grabs me. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who started out on either a pure and profit motive, um, you know, uh, and we'll hear it later from uh, from Adele. But you, you certainly see there's a lot more to her story than just uh, just looking to line pockets. Exactly. And plus, later on the show, we'll have Anne-Marie Hansen, partner and leader, Eastern Canada at BDO, who will take us through entrepreneurial growing pains and share some advice. But first... Let's take a look at some current events. Food, since it's going to be a theme for our show, food and grocers. I mean, a top preoccupation for many Canadians and really around the world and a concern too for governments. I and mean, we've seen the, the government asking grocers to come up with a plan to stabilize food prices. Um, you've been looking at, the, there was a recent RBC, um, RBC survey that talked about how inflation is a top preoccupation for Canadians. We've seen an IPO of Instacart also. I mean, lots of, things going on in the field of food, right? Yeah, I, you know, there, there, there's three things I think we we'll, we'll can talk about this morning. One is, uh, you know, the discussion of uh, Instacart going public. Uh, it uh, it debuted at thirty dollars, took off, jumped uh, as high as uh, you know forty two dollars uh, on the first day of trading, and then as many IPOs do, tanked uh, shortly thereafter and closed back at thirty dollars and ten cents the day later. So you know it, it really didn't pick up any ground. But I, I think the the issue here is not you know the the fact that the IPO went up and down. I think that's it, it's a much stronger underlying concern in the economy right now. And and I think part of the reason for the IPO price of, of Instacart taking a tumble is there's a lot of question right now in terms of growth prospects for a company like that in a market where inflation is through the roof. You know, the, the, you made reference to the RBA, RBC survey. You know, 77% of Canadians are right now overly concerned and the preoccupation is inflation. And obviously when you get into that, you're talking about, you know, housing costs, food costs, uh, and transportation, you know, price of uh, price of oil uh, may see a hundred dollars not so far in the future. Uh, gas prices obviously are affected accordingly and are, are ridiculously expensive right now. Uh, and when it comes to food, I mean, the, the choices and, and this part of the problem, and, and this is a societal discussion at the end of the day, I guess. But, you know, if you have a choice between product A and product B and you're only on a limited budget, well, you're going to go with product that's cheaper, which may not necessarily be the healthier product. So, you know, you're you're creating longer term health issues by by some of these things. So when when the when a country like Canada or the U.S., where you know we we like to call ourselves first world, uh, you know, in in, in today's society has to worry that much uh, about their their people and the food issues. 
it's a very scary prospect going forward. And, and I think we're seeing that as it precipitates most thought processes uh, in, in the marketplace today. And everybody you talk to is complaining about the prices. And that led to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau calling the uh, the major food retailers to the table, Loblaw, Sobeys, uh, Walmart and Target, in order to bring them to the table to discuss, hey, you guys are making record profits, record margins. How does this now translate back to, to trying to bring food prices down. I found that interesting because being from France, this happens all the time. <laughs> you know, the president calls in, the, the companies try to do something about it, but it was very interesting to see that happening and you're becoming more of a habit in Canada as well. Yeah, I think I think the socioeconomic component to all of this is interesting. I know the conservatives were been all summer beating up on Trudeau's government for inflation and and the cost of food and everything else. So I, you know, I, I I'm not sure what uh, what brings everybody to the table, but clearly, uh, you know, when you've only got a few major retailers, uh, there's concern that uh, you know that that. Uh, what does that look like when you're making significant profit and people are are, are literally you know uh, scrapping to to get food? Yeah, and I'm curious to see what sort of plan they may come up with. Um, the the second uh, the second story and theme you selected is very interesting via the New York Times. It's about this uh, new online safety law in Britain. So uh, the New York Times calls it one of the most far-reaching attempts by a Western democracy to regulate online speech. Can can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, the online safety bill, uh, basically trying to apply it to terrorist propaganda, online fraud, you know, child safety. I mean, it's just taking this further than than it has. And, you know, inevitably, once you move into that space, you know, you're going to have the far right and the far left battling over the discussion of safety versus freedom of speech. And I think that this has been part of the problem. And, and I know the article discusses uh, messaging service like WhatsApp and Signal who have been threatening to leave the British market uh, altogether because they're seeing this, um, you know, in the bill that we're seeing is weakening encryption standards were being changed. Well, you know, what does that mean? And, and what does that provide in terms of safety and how, you know, where does this go? And, and and I know Dan and I have had this conversation for years in terms of looking at technology, when you get to AI, when you get to, you know, a lot of these things is what does this look like from a, from a safety and how do you marriage, marry sorry safety to um, ensure that ultimately at the end of the day, we still get our freedom of speech, which is kind of one of our basic rights. That's quite interesting because uh, Britain just did that. The EU as well has its uh, Digital Services Act. And, you know, they've been also taking all sorts of measures, uh, most recently with Apple and the chargers. Um, I mean, it feels like a lot of the action and uh, the thought leadership on this is coming from Europe. Uh, is Europe showing the way you think or is it showing the pitfalls? Well, it, it, it's interesting because uh, in North America, we like to think that we are at the forefront of technology. We're at the forefront of lawmaking, uh, when in fact, uh, some days we're a distant third. In Europe, is certainly when it comes to to you know addressing uh, rights and safety, uh, has certainly led the way on a lot of this. And 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 part of the battle, I guess, goes to kind of the socio the social side or socialist side of the European mentality vis-a-vis -vis the free market space that we deal with in North America, more so in the U.S. Obviously, in terms of I can say what I want when I want. I mean, we've had uh, you know all kinds of information and and stories and uh, in the last. 
you know, even in the last few weeks in terms of Elon Musk and some of his commentary and anti-Semitism. And, you know, there, there, there will always be, I think, that battle. And once you have that battle going on, I think you're going to you have a very difficult time trying to regulate some of that. So, yes, do I think Europe is ahead in this? area most definitely um and uh i think that we're going to see more uh, more to come and i think we will start to see some of that sprinkle more into canada probably than in the u.s um, but it certainly will have an implication here going forward i'm by the way reading the new biography of elon musk i don't know if you had a chance yet uh, i recommend it i have not yet so you know part of it is finding time and and, and part of it is uh you know the man is brilliant he is foresight um, well, let's let's just say sometimes it, uh, it it's gone to his head. So, you know, I, <laughs> and you can see that in the whole, book. That, for sure. that's, a, that, that's a whole show in and of itself, <laughs> which will probably get me kicked off the radio at some point. <laughs> so I wanted to keep time for the last uh, topic you chose on on ink, because um, I was you won't look uh, you won't think about retreats the same way after this third story. Interesting goodies at this gathering in Aspen. We're speaking here, of course, a gathering on the business of psychedelics. So, you know, but they were coaches, lawyers, doctors. And what were the goodies that the participants received? CBD gummies, a magic mind, matcha shots, but also uh, psilocybin infused chocolate bars offered during meditation. So I was wondering, are you just throwing ideas of uh, corporate retreats out there or, or is it just a reminder to keep an eye on the market of psychedelics? Well, uh, BDO, we just had ours last week and uh, I did not get any of that in my goodie bag. So I guess uh, I guess none of that is coming here so soon. Um, you know, Colorado being at the forefront of uh, drug legislation in, in the U.S. Uh, has uh, cyclocybin as legal. At this point, it started with with marijuana. There's a lot of others. I mean, it's a it's, it's a basically sched one uh, drug uh, on the federal level, but Colorado and and it's interesting because this. I mean, I, I don't know if people find of our listeners have followed this, but psilocybin and, and this whole discussion of um, how to deal with depression. Right. And, and and how do some of these things, uh, you know, affect the mind? And I, and I know if you go back and you've seen stories in the jungles of Costa Rica and Peru where, you know, people go through these exercises and come out with this new awareness that are helping them deal with anxiety, helping them deal with 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 uh, depression in. You know, I, I'm I'm hoping that our attempt in the in the corporate retreat world is is a genuine one to try and help people and 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 not take advantage of, uh, you know, the mental health issues that 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 people certainly in the South American and the, the originals have traditionally found that a lot of natural products have, have come a long way. You know, if you listen to this, uh, the, read this story, sorry, I mean, it, the gathering took place in, in mid-September, just a few days ago. Uh, it drew founders, investors, coaches, doctors, as you mentioned. And, you know, it was at the intersection of psychedelics, wellness, and business leadership. Uh, you know, there's got to be a trillion dollar industry when you put those three things together <laughs> at this point. And I'm not too sure where this is going to take us. Um, but I find it's interesting in, you know, the concept of building community, the concept of unlocking creativity, and possibly just what do we do next at our corporate retreat? So maybe trying to get rid of some boredom and and, and create a little bit of fun. Um, but I have to tell you that, uh, you know, one of one of the uh, one of the individuals that was uh, interviewed, 
you know, said they had just come from Burning Man and now was on their way to their uh, psychedelic show in Aspen. And I got to wonder, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that's the greatest uh, selling point for uh, for the corporate retreats. <laughs> exactly. I'm so done with Burning Man. He, I think he mentioned he likes the smaller feel of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what's not to like? Well, they, um, almost, they almost all floated away this year at Burning Man. So that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Mike, for the diversity of stories this week. Coming up, we'll introduce you to our entrepreneur, Adele Tarzibashi, co-founder of food company Lefi Fatouche. She sells ready-to-eat specialties and ingredients. She gives Syrian women refugees a job and a chance to start a new life. And now her expansion plans have won her an offer from a dragon. Adele, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks. We really want to hear about your entrepreneurial journey, but... Um, I have to say, there are lots of Lefi Fatouche products in my kitchen, including your cookbook. Uh, But for our listeners who haven't gone to your booth at Marché Jean Talon or who haven't seen you on Dragon's Den, tell us uh, about Lefi Fatouche and and how it came to be. Uh, Lefi Fatouche, it's a story of humanity. We start our company six years ago while there was a lot of refugees coming to Montreal. Uh, Me as a Syrian uh, immigrant, I uh, thought, what what can I do? What, how can I help these ladies and these families to integrate in the society? So uh, I met uh, Josette Gauthier and Geneviève Comon, and we have the idea of creating a catering service. So uh, by creating this service, we can help uh, the ladies find job and uh, integrate the society and be independent financially. So we start and also uh, let's discover the Quebecer, the real Syrian uh, perfume, uh, food and authenticity recipe of uh, our uh, cuisine culture. So we start our catering service and a few years after we decide also in order to give job to those ladies. So we start to import spices from Syria and we pack them in our kitchen in Montreal. Everything it's handmade, hand packed. So uh, we want the people try our food once, twice times a week by uh, asking our service for catering service, but they also can cook some recipe in their own kitchen by using the authentic perfume of our kitchen. So uh, we have started with four ingredients, four spices. Then we add more spices, pomegranate molasses, uh, dressing for fatouche salad. So now when people click on Le Fatouche, they start to see like a, a, a vitrine, a showcase for Syrian food. So you started out as a pure import. Uh, and then you move to ready-to-eat food. So when you were importing, were you importing purely spices or were you importing uh, uh, food as well and then moving forward? Because you're now, I think you've gone from, you know, being, like you said, in your kitchen to over 100 points of sale throughout uh, the province. We start uh, just importing the the spices. We import and pack them in our kitchen in Montreal. Not the food. The food we do uh, every plate here. Some product we we bought them like uh, pâte de tomate, pâte de piment. Uh, those product we need to buy them locally from here. They are imported product, but we we do work also with uh, some uh, distributor. We do also work with some. Uh, supplier to in order to cook our plate. 
So you can't give away all your secrets, but your recipe book obviously comes from uh, generations of recipes. Um, yeah. you maybe give us a little bit of an insight into you know kind of the creativity that comes behind the uh, the cookbook and maybe the inspiration. Yeah, the idea of uh, creating a cookbook it's uh, like putting a light on the Syrian cuisine. So we want to people discover the Syrian cuisine. How do they cook? What do they cook? What kind of spices do they need? So when we choose the recipe on the cookbook, it wasn't that difficult because it's what we eat daily in our kitchen, what my mother taught me to cook and what my grandmother taught my mother what to cook. So it was like a recipe from generation to another. And we make it like a simply cookbook so people can find vegetarian meat, people can find the meze, cold meze, hot meze. It's like starters in Syrian food and uh, some kind of soup, some kind of main dishes, even breakfast so people can have a Syrian-style breakfast uh, cuisine on Sunday or Saturday. And what is excellent about cookbook, it's much more than cookbook because, yes, it has the recipe, but it has also the portrait of each lady's working with us. Excellent. The, uh, the I guess I guess the you know the, the the concept of importing and starting out is one thing, but there's always the reality of where does cash come from? Come from? Uh, you know, is this did did you bootstrap this from the beginning? Did you borrow any money? How did how did you get this off the ground from a financial perspective? We inject uh, personal uh, money, and when when we believe in our project, we go forward till the end. So it you just have to believe in what we are doing, and you can give give money, give uh, uh, energy, give uh, projects. So you can give everything if you have like uh, if you have a faith in the project. Maybe talk to us a little bit about. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is there, there's a social component to all of this, right? It's it's really like you said, you know, you're you're providing jobs for for refugee women uh, that have come to Canada. Maybe just give us a little bit of how this works. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't th- I don't think we need to answer the why, but how and 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 where this uh, where this model came from and and where you see it going. Uh, it wasn't difficult to find the ladies who were uh, looking for a job uh, in the society because when they came from uh, their city, like some of them there has a diploma, the, some of them they are teacher, engineer, and they they are in front of the reality. It's hard to get to the zero and go and start uh, restudy and uh, do the equivalence for their study so they wanna find job and it wasn't easy it wasn't difficult for us to find those ladies and once once they get in the company they feel like confidence they have their uh, independent their life we help them to find a new beginning or new lifestyle in the, in their new uh, city exactly and how many of these women have come through the kitchen and, you know, what have they gone on to, to do after that? When we started it till now, we have uh, engaged 30 people. Right now we have 10 uh, ladies working in the kitchen. In the summertime, we engage more, much more person, but uh, immigrant or Canadian or Quebecer, because in Marché Jean Talon, it doesn't need to be refugees. It has to be like uh, it can be uh, any uh, any personal who want to uh, work with the 
les fifatos. And you've had great success story. I remember hearing on the dragon that some have gone on and bought their own house, right? Feeling really Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was very, very, very shocked moment when one of the lady tells us, can you give me a paper to prove that I am working 40 hours with you because with this paper and with this salary, I can go and prove to the bank so I can buy my house. And for the Syrian buying a house, it's like, okay, I'm a very good citoyen. I am a, a real citizen because moving from apartment to apartment, it's uh, it's a feeling of, okay, I, I don't have my own home. But for Syrian who left their home, when they buy a, a house here, so I have my second home here. It's it's mean a lot for them. When did you come to Canada? And what was a little bit of the history, maybe that uh, that brought you to Canada? And you know what you what were you doing before, and what led you to to start an organization like this? Actually, I came to Canada twenty years ago. I'm immigrant, and I had the chance to visit Canada twice before coming to Canada as an immigrant. Uh, I came to Canada because my family, my uh, my grandparents, I, my uncle, my aunt, they came to Canada 20 years ago. I was uh, married also with a Syrian uh, guy. So I moved to Canada uh, in 2003. And uh, when I moved to Canada, I start uh, a few years after I start to import Aleppo soap from Syria. So it was a way to me to get back to my country, contact the people there and because I left my country, but I'm attached to it. So I start importing Aleppo soap and I start selling them in the market also. Now, Adele, we'd like to talk a bit more about what's coming up for Lefi Fatouche. And I can't help but ask, how was your experience with the dragons? And, you know, what brought you to, to, to go there looking for, for funding? Actually, I am a very fan of uh, this uh, emission on TV show. So I love the Quebecer version, Dans l'œil du dragon, and I also uh, see the dragons then. Uh, so I love this show and I, I love to discover uh, entrepreneur and how it works and what a bright idea they brought to this uh, city. So uh, from a long time ago, I uh, loved this show and I was thinking all the time, one day I will be there. And when I have my entreprise, when I uh, found my entreprise with Geneviève, like uh, it was no question after several years because we have to be ready. We have to show our plan. We have to have uh, like a vision. We have to... We have to be ready to get in front of the dragons. So it was very nice experience uh, for me and also for the ladies. So going to Radio Canada, show their product and uh, talk about themselves. It, it was a very nice experience for them. Can you share a little bit with us what that plan looked like that you took with uh, took with you and, 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 and you know, kind of what you sold to uh, to Dragon? Actually, when we uh, went to Dragon Den, we want to show our spices. We want to show also that we have a catering service. We do uh, do uh, prêt à manger and we sell them via La Ferme Lufa. We also have an idea about talking about our chips, pita chips, because it was a project that will show up in the market in the few months. And actually, it has been just uh, one month since uh, we start selling uh, 
Pita Clips in all the IDA. On the Dragon Den, we mentioned that our uh, Pita Clips will be in the supermarket, and we have more and more product uh, in the future to develop, in, to get more and more product on the supermarket. One of the things with Dragon's Den is, uh, the same as it is with the Shark Tank, uh, you know, the models is they, they 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 don't want to take money to to give you for anything you've done in the past. They want to use this for distribution. They want to use this for kind of blowing out uh, what you have in place. What uh, you know, what what did you? What was the big thing you think that got them interested in in what you were doing? Other than the fact that the products are wonderful, what's what do you think sold them in terms of that expansion plan? The story about the company, uh, what at the beginning, uh, the company, the creation of the company, why Le Fifa Touche, why when I buy spice uh, packed by Le Fifa Touche in comparing with the spice packed by another company, what is the difference? So when you, the people understand the meaning of the company, the mission of the company, they value the company and they value the products. So the, the story about the ladies and the story about the refugees and the success story about refugees. Usually when we see when we say refugees is every time it's a sad story, sad uh, sentences, sad uh, uh, everything it's sad when we talk about uh, status of refugees. When we talk about refugees, what they can do in their new home, so it became the sadness became a happiness for uh, them. The sell, selling of hope, which you yeah, know, exactly. I, I, I think in the world we're living in lately, we could use a lot more stories like that. Yeah. Um, let Let's move a little bit into, I guess, the food and the grocery market right now. I mean, there's a lot of people, and we've touched on this earlier, you know, about how uh, you know prices are going through the roof. Uh, people are very concerned about inflation. Um, you know, where do you see uh, two things, I guess? Where do you see uh, the food service that you have fitting into that as, you know, part of somebody's weekly uh, grocery? And uh, having dealt with, I guess, you know, a lot of the refugees coming in, this has got to be a significant concern in within the marketplace. It's hard in nowadays to fix the price. It's hard because the inflation there actually we are not advised in advance for the high increase of the product. So it's very hard and it's we have to be very uh, attentive when we are calculating our cost because the price going up without any, any... Uh... You're, you're talking, Adele, about the, the prices. So when you're importing the goods, when you're importing spices, you really only find out as you're importing the goods. There's no indication. And even, uh, not that, not uh, just also for the importing product, the pita bread, we sell it from here. The olive oil, we we buy it from here. There's a lot of ingredients. They are coming. It's locally product. The spices are imported, but every other spices, everything is made in Canada. So the the prices is getting higher much, much more often than we expected. So when we calculate our price and our margin and everything, we have to be very careful and we have to check out this price like every two months. 
one of the the things you mentioned you wanted to do with with the new funding you got is automation. Is that something that's in the cards? Is that a way to to deal with that inflation to to you know keep your margin and saving in other places? Actually, yeah, we want everything. It's made by hand right now, and we are planning to get to buy more equipment to get grow our business. But this doesn't mean that we were. We, we are cutting uh, the job for the ladies because we are in the same time we are planning to buy machine like equipment we will integrate more and more products so it's we have to show it in another way we will still our mission it will be always always in front of everything we are doing you know, you talk about a variety of products and everybody who's familiar knows that you just there, there, there's so many do you have any idea how many products you have? I mean, this is an ex- this is just you know quite a, a fascinating story. So, you know, how many different products do you have on the shelf and in in stores? We have uh, eight spices. We have molasses, the granade, uh, pomegranate molasses. We have a dressing for fatouche salad. We have four chips, uh, four flavors of uh, chips of pita. And we are working to create more uh, spices by the end of October. And it will be a mix of spices because in our variety of spices, we have the spices that we import and we uh, pack in our kitchen. And we have the mix of spices, which it's made by Le Fifatouche. It's our own mix. Like Zatar, Shishtau, Shaorma, we have three kind of signature Aliment Quebec. It's made by Le Fifatouche. You can't find the same spices anywhere else. How did you get into the stores? How tell us a little bit about how you went from you know Jean-Tolon Market uh, kiosk to selling you know, to a one hundred uh, over one hundred points of sale. What was the thought process? How did you break into that? Was there a marketing plan? Was this you know, they come to you. How did how did you manage this? It was mix of both. Some point of sale, they saw uh, they saw us on television or radio and heard about our story, and they contact us to uh, in order to have their pro- our product in their store. And some people, we just knock the door, meet the owner or the, the manager of the shop, show our spices, and uh, start to have a new point of sales. And we send emails like it's it. There's no one plan. There's one plan, but there's like a variety of way and uh, by distributing and ha- uh, having new point of sales. That was Adele Tarzibashi, co-founder of Lippy Fatouche. Thank you, Adele. We'll have your one piece of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs in just a moment. But first, let's check in with our video subject matter expert guest. Anne-Marie Hansen, partner and leader, Eastern Canada at BDO. Anne-Marie, thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And uh, it's been wonderful listening to Adele. Uh, she's made me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> All of us. So um, we'll talk today about entrepreneurial growing pains from finding capital to meeting compliance requirements. So we just heard about a great success story today from a local entrepreneur and how they grew the company. Uh, could you take us through some of the biggest pain points that you see companies go through uh, during that stage? 
Yeah, thanks. And, um, you know, Adele's story is is a wonderful one. And it's so great to see when people put in such effort into uh, growing their company. And some of the things that I've seen, uh, you know, on on my side of, uh, of that chapter is, from an accounting and a finance perspective is, uh, you know, when you start off, you you're you're raising money uh, through maybe friends and family, you're you're investing your own time and your own money and to growing your company. And you, when you grow to the point that you're looking for outside capital, you know, whether it be from uh, venture capital or from a bank, all of a sudden you're bringing outside parties into your company and you're bringing in parties that now have a stake in your company. You're not just answering to yourself anymore. And, and that causes the need for um, more compliance, more formal procedures. Uh, maybe you need to prepare financial statements and circulate them to, to those lenders. So it, it does create a, a need to put in some more formal structure that entrepreneurs at the beginning stages aren't necessarily used to. And that can be a big change from, you know, working in your garage or in your, your kitchen and uh, being working on your company every day to, to having to answer to these outside stakeholders. So I can hear a lot of our guests and I can feel them cringing as they as you talk about the accounting side of of what happens to an entrepreneur. And we all know at the end of the day that accounting should not drive a business decision. However, I guess to get to that point, uh, you need to be aware of options before you make certain decisions. What are, what are we talking about here? What are some of the options the entrepreneur needs to to take into consideration? Yeah, thanks, Mike. And um, it's funny you say that. You know, I I find the the accounting side of things really exciting, and maybe that's why uh, I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and entrepreneurs should, uh, you know, maybe recognize that as a starting point, right? It's it's normal at the beginning stages that the a business owner takes care of multiple facets of the company, but when you grow to the point that uh, you realize that there just aren't enough hours in the day. Uh, getting people on board, uh, you know, working with partners, advisors, accountants, consultants to help you with those aspects of the business that are uh, maybe not what you do best and and are not as exciting it becomes a really important consideration for you to to be able to move forward and really grow the company to where you want it to be. And like you said, it's one of the biggest things uh, that entrepreneurs need to to remember is it's important to be informed about say how a specific transaction or how something should be accounted for and what the options are available uh, and it's but it's also really critical to remember that uh, accounting shouldn't drive how you make your business decisions right that that should be driven by your strategy and where you want to end up in the next few years but being able to have those informed discussions to know what those options are and then being able to have the right conversations about that is really optimally where you want to end up. You know, the good news about this show is I always learn something new and I've just learned from you that I can use the term like accounting and entrepreneur in the same sentence. <laughs> um, so I guess the, the last point to discuss all of this is as you start moving towards uh, needing financing or eventually going to a capital market or moving in those directions, uh, you know, there are certain things that from a governance and a, and a structural standpoint that entrepreneurs need to recognize they're not always going to be the smartest person in the room when it comes to. So what are some of these things and, and, and how do you address some of them? Yeah, thanks, Mike. And I, I think 
ultimately, you really want to just make sure you prepare in advance, right? You don't ever want to end up in a situation where you're talking to potential lenders and you realize that they're asking you for financial information that you don't have readily available. So knowing where you want to end up in the next few years and preparing in advance for that, I think is the key to success for any entrepreneur. I think the, the you know you hit the nail on the head. I think it's surrounding yourself with the right people, right? Whether that's internally CFO, the you know the 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 the, these, the organizational structure, or whether that's externally between accountant, lawyer, banker, whatever it is, you need a team. And uh, you know most of the time, the entrepreneur's expertise and drive uh, will fall outside of that circle, and that's where you really need to have the rest of the group together. Exactly. Thank you, Anne Marie, and thank you for bringing the excitement about accounting. Uh, don't forget, you can read more about thought leadership and expert advice from the BDO team at bdo.ca. And as we come to the end of the show, let's ask our entrepreneur Adele Tarzibashi, co-founder of Lefi Fatouche, for her one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. It's not easy, a life of entrepreneur. It's very hard and we have. it's a kind of life that you have to love it. You have to wake up in the morning and go to the work with the face and love what you are working. So for me, it's like have a face in the in the project and like Fonse, go forward, go forward. Like uh, if a door closes, another door will open. Like there's always there's up and down in the in our life, in, in personal life and a business life. And the business life, it's a lot more scary up and down and we have to be optimist about uh, how to see and how to react with the, the reality of entrepreneur. Love, faith, energy, optimism. Thank you very much, Adel Tarzibashi, co-founder Lefi Fatouche, for joining us this week on Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Mike, any final thoughts? You know, it's, it, it always amazes me that uh, the, the guests we get. So thank you, Marjorie. I mean, obviously, you're, you do a great job of, of, of finding very, very unique uh, niches within our market. And, you know, Montreal known for its tech industry, known for that kind of startup. And, you know, this is really an old world, old school uh, show today. And, and, and it's great to see. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's nice to see the success. It's nice to see the social. It's nice to see the human aspect, all of this. So, you know, power to Adele and, and, and the group that she's got together. Together, Sandrine, and and I think that uh, you know once again uh, very happy with uh, with how everything is is moving forward. Great, and I, now I can go and have a snack of the each in my in my fridge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Next week on Inspiring Entrepreneurs by BDO Canada, our guest is Patrice Demers. He will talk to us about his crazy journey as Montreal's guru pâtissier his pop-up restaurant in New York City, and how he's now reinventing himself with a 14-seat restaurant in Pointe-Saint-Charles. A reminder that you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneur Montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite platform. And you can also log on to the website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com, for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles. Thanks, Mike. See you next week. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.